Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Trinity Episcopal Pocatello podcast. Peace be with you. Speaking on Transfiguration Sunday, Elise Barker's homily on Luke chapter 9 is about the moment when Peter, John, and James witness the glowing, shining visage of Jesus next to Moses and Elijah. This is a moment when the apostles are dazzled, and we are taken through an analysis of what this moment of glistering awe, this transfiguration, truly means to us as followers of Christ. story of the transfiguration. So dramatic, that mountain setting, the ascent, Jesus's glowing robes, the vision of Moses and Elijah, the prophetic conversation, and Peter's strange request to build three dwellings at the location, the terrifying descent of the cloud, the voice speaking from the cloud, and Jesus's return to normal. From an interpreter point of view, the message is clear. This is the moment when Jesus is revealed to be the Son of God in no uncertain terms. Sure, Jesus has already performed a lot of miracles by now. He's already fed the 5,000, and Peter has already declared that Jesus is the Messiah. But this scene has a demonstrative finality. That voice in the clouds is fully declarative. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. If Joe Marley was here, I would ask him to recite the line in his best baritone, (laughs) full of gravitas and urgency. (laughs) But you get the point. (laughs) Dramatic, insistent. It's like God's taking Peter, John, and James by the head and pointing them right at Jesus, saying, him. And then there's those glowing clothes. (laughs) I looked up every single translation of this passage in the Bible Gateway, and the phrase describing the change to Jesus's robes was interpreted as some variation of the following options. Bright as a flash of lightning, blinding light, dazzling white, White and glistering. That's an old uh, term that we don't use anymore, but it's, it's real. Glistering. Uh, gleaming white. Shining white. White. Sparkling. White. Shining. Take your pick of your favorite translation. In the end, it's the same. A big flashing sign with an arrow pointing at Jesus. <laughs> Slightly less declarative in terms of interpretation, though, but just as traumatic, dramatic, not traumatic, dramatic, is the presence of Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Talk about drama. I kind of imagine it like the end of Star Wars, (laughs) when Yoda, Anakin, and Obi-Wan Kenobi come back and, like, say hi to Luke Skywalker. (laughs) It's iconic. But these two Old Testament heroes showing up is an important, juicy little tidbit from a theological and historical point of view, too. 
Their presence sanctions Jesus's role as the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws and prophecies. Indeed, their presence with Jesus indicates that he should be listened to above all. So the transfiguration is a moment of declaration and drama, securing Jesus's position as son of God, fulfiller of the Old Testament laws and prophecies, and the number one guy we should not be listening to. Got it. But as I thought about this story over the past week, I found myself niggling with the word transfiguration. To me, it suggests a change or a metamorphosis from human to divine, but I actually never looked it up. So what do you think I did? I looked it up. <laughs> Being a language nerd, I started digging. The prefix trans, which we most commonly think of in terms of gender expression these days, comes from the Latin for across. A cross is a good way to think of Jesus, who is our bridge, crossing from the human to the divine. We also use trans in English as a prefix to indicate a number of various prepositions, including across, beyond, on or to, the other side of, and through. Each of those uses resonates with this story for me as well. The most general definition of transfiguration I found was a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. As I read and thought about all these various definitions, I finally realized where that little niggle was coming from, change. It has to do with the idea that Jesus was transformed into something more beautiful or more spiritual. But is Jesus really any different before and after the transfiguration? I don't think he is. Instead, it's very clear to me that what changed during the transfiguration is the witnesses' perception of Jesus. Now, I'll get back to that in a minute because there's this other thing that niggled at me about the transfiguration story, and that's Peter's presence. Yes, I know he's always there. Jesus' right-hand man, the first leader of the church, the spokesman of the apostles, the holder of the keys to heaven. But wouldn't it make sense for another of the less exuberantly faithful disciples to have been there as witness? This episode occurs in close proximity to Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. I think he's already sold on Jesus's special role. So these two niggling thoughts came together as I sat with them. If the transformation isn't about Jesus, but about a change in our perception of Jesus, I'd say Peter's presence is actually quite essential. In the same way that Peter's denial of Jesus before the cop crows three times shows that even the most faithful are prone to fault. Peter's presence at the transfiguration shows that even the most faithful need transformation. Every time I read this account, I have to giggle about Peter wanting to commemorate the moment with a monument. What a familiar or human urge in that suggestion. Like, 
putting a pin in a map, <laughs> placing a flag on the surface of the moon, <laughs> or carving the founding fathers' faces into a mountain. Then Luke adds that line, not knowing what he said, to point out the strangeness of Peter's impulse, an impulse that is maybe not all that strange to some of us. But trying to, to pin down divinity, trying to put God inside of a mountaintop house, that is strange. And you know what else is strange? Who else is strange? Jesus, fully human, fully divine, with glowing robes. Maybe it's good for all us faithful Peters <laughs> to occasionally get the opportunity to be so dazzled, so blinded by Jesus's true nature that we find ourselves stumbling for words. Today, I hope we are all blessed as Peter was to find a way to see Jesus anew. May it be so. We are grateful you've listened today, and we hope you found something helpful in today's episode. Our mission is to weave God's unfinished tapestry, and by listening, you are a part of that mission. So thank you. If you would like to know more about our parish or the Episcopal Church, you can find us online at www.trinitypocatello.org. Thanks be to God.